Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. It's Drive-by Cinema, Season 3, Episode 48. 47. 47. Paul, we can correct it in post these days. We have the technology. I see. I just need to say every digit from one to nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And then we can cut and paste the right one in, can't we? Yeah, I don't know how this rest of the conversation is going to sound now. So. <laughs> well, because I said the right number and you're trying to correct me erroneously. Yes. Yeah, it will make no sense, will it? Neither will this be either. No, it will also seem irrelevant. But it can be edited out. It's like time where, travel. Where are we going to come back in, though? How are we going to smoothly... I think we should start in? again. No, 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 no. Here we go. We just go watching the movies so you don't have to. Here at episode 37, series three of Drive-By Cinema. With my co-host, Paul. And with my co-host, Richard. Now, Paul. Yes. It's been a tumultuous week, or certainly a tumultuous weekend, hasn't it? A Russian coup nearly happened and then didn't happen. Yeah, what's all that about? What are they doing? What are they playing at? Need to get their act together. Russian government. It's going to have a coup. You're going to have one. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they, well, they need Boris Johnson over there. He'd get a coup <laughs> done, wouldn't he? <laughs> Don't know how we're going to have any time to review our mistakes, which, you know, do you have any? Probably, yeah. Okay. Well, I was hoping somebody else would circumscribe them. Well, I was thinking about bones and all. Yeah. You know, the cannibals on the run kind of film. Oh, yes, yes, uh, starring Timothy Chalet. Now, we had inferred that the allegory of this film might be something to do with meat-eating and veganism and that (laughs) kind of thing. Yeah, rather eagerly, we kind of jumped on that bandwagon, yeah. It's a pretty obvious interpretation, isn't it? It's kind of straight down the middle. Yeah, yeah. I think it possibly is it saying something about sexuality because well i said essay but you didn't really go for that one i'm thinking more of you know homosexuality homophobia because they like live in a shadowy world like they they have to hide their desires right Mm -hmm. she's inducted into the world by sully the creepy guy and uh, why would you get recursive why would you having openly actively seducing a fairground stall tender with a homosexual Yeah, yeah I know. Do like, you see, there's no symmetry. Again, I require symmetry. If you've got a working analogy or working model, it can't involve itself. I think it might be a little bit homophobic, in fact, this interpretation, because it, it, what made me think of it is, I mean, obviously, yeah, there is the overt thing where Timothy seduces the carnival worker, but there's also, you know, the scene with the two guys, the guy in the dungarees, like Brad and Duke, or whatever they're called. Yeah. The two guys who meet them in the clearing. One of whom is a ex-cop. Now, at that point, Marin gets really disgusted because the cop does this stuff, but he actually doesn't... He isn't an eater. He's not like them. He doesn't have the innate desire to have to eat. Yeah. So she's repulsed by the fact that he's choosing it. And it, it feels a bit like the kind of bi-phobia, bi-Eurasia stuff that goes on, where... You know, bisexual ah. people seem to be reviled both by... Oh, no, by I think you've... you've yeah, the people. Might, you, you might hear something there. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a name for these people, bisexuals. No, 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 I didn't just say that. I mean, bisexuals <laughs> have had a really, really hard time from the gay community and the straight community, obviously. I think it was, it, it, it's, I mean, they were just kind of... Well, the scene is inauthentic either way inauthentic around. Inauthentic from both sides. Or yes, were, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the gay community has become much more... Accepting, yes. Now, I passed on to you as well one of our listeners, Adam's best guesses for the missing novel that you were searching, your white whale novel. Yeah, unfortunately, I had an off inspection last week, so... Ah. So it might well be true. I haven't had a chance to check those out. I'm really sorry, Adam, if he's listening. No, no, but I think he actually he actually sent a, a film what? called Stranger Than Fiction, which has a plot line similar to what you're describing. I asked him if he, we should put it on the list, though, and he said it was meh. So maybe not. Maybe not. Speaking of films, Paul, yeah. I hear some music. Well, that was lovely music, wasn't it, Richard? But Was that a music. non-sequitur that I was uttering there? It was rather, yeah. But our music ushers the In. episode's movie review. The movie review. Okay. So, uh, lovely music to preface our fabulous film tonight. We are reviewing Megan. Megan? Megan? I don't really know. I mean, it was Megan in the movie, I think. M3GAM. Yeah, thank you. Stylized yeah. M3GAM. There we go. Recent movie, 2022, I think. Mm. Yeah. And obviously it focuses, it's very much like an elongated Black Mirror episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely right. It focuses on an artificial child, doesn't it? But first, we are introduced in the form of an advert, a TV advert, (laughs) which I think has something to do with a dead dog, but something I wrote down, but it was very early in the movie. I don't understand how that came into it. For something called perpetuals or perpetual. Now, basically, these are Furbies. Furbies, yeah. At which point, we have to take a brief digression, don't we, in explaining what a Furby is. Well, I think we can go even further back. But, I mean, I don't really know what a Furby is, I have to be honest. Apart from What do you mean? Well, I know that these look like Furbies, but I don't know how animatronic Furbies actually are. So so you know what a Furby is, but you don't know what it can do. What it can do. You never had one, then? Never had a Furby. I mean, we were a little bit old. Cabbage Cabbage Patch Kids. Strawberry Shortcake was where it's at in sort of collectible dolls when I was a kid. Did you have a Cabbage Patch Kid? No, I had a Weeble. (laughs) Which is just a piece of plastic. This has now turned into one of those Nostalgia episodes on Channel 4 where... B-list celebrities talk about things you can't get anymore. No, I had a wee ball, and I just thought it was just like, you know, a piece of plastic with the heavy weight at the bottom. For those that don't know, a wee ball is an egg-shaped object that purports to wobble but never fall Weebles over. wobble, but they don't fall down. Just because it's got a weight at the bottom, that's all. Yeah, it was a real disappointment. I thought it was like magic, and it wasn't. Nowadays, they're used as ladies' sexual toys, aren't they? Though, do put a string on them. You don't want to get them lost. But I don't think kids have Weebles anymore, do they? So from Weeble, through Strawberry Shortcake, past the Cabbage Patch dolls or kids, we get to Tamagotchi and Furbies. Relatively sort of co-contemporaneous, I think. I couldn't have done the history of Furbies any better. That's brilliant. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. Tamagotchi, 
which was a pocket-sized electronic device. I have one of those. A form of artificial life which purported to need feeding and looking it didn't, after. Really, you had to like forget for eight days or something. Well, it's the rule of fours or whatever, isn't it? Four, four hours, four days, four weeks. So you had to forget for a long time. You haven't got you. Very annoying, as far as I remember. But I never really owned one. I just can't imagine having to look after an electronic pet. It seems slightly pointless. Well, it? better than looking after a rock. A pet rock. <laughs> Which, let's face it, was marketing genius. <laughs> Did they have... no other kind of genius, was it? Did they have googly eyes on them? Or is that just everything everywhere? No, else? that's one you had to make yourself. Ah, uh, okay. Makes sense. You know, a Furby was a gremlin sort of styled It was, yeah. yeah. I don't know, about five, six inches tall, maybe? Something like that. Somewhere the between pe- the original Mogwai and the gremlin that it became, kind of thing. I think it not was supposed to be a Mogwai. Not as cute as a Mogwai. Not as cute. You know, the plastic beak and the yes. wildly rolling eyes and stuff make it tend to look a little bit more like Grimmel-esque. a horrifying, yeah. demon-esque, imp-like creature. I mean, a, a furless Furby is a truly terrifying thing to see. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, recently uh, on Facebook Local, lots of messages about not taking dogs out on the tarmac and then associated photos of tarmac attached to... Can't tie us, fair point. But Ugh. then we had the don't give sugar to the bees. What? Which is also a fair point. Don't. Why? Don't give sugar to bees. Why is that a fair point? Because they'll produce stuff, stuff out of it that their eggs can't eat. Right. I thought you were going to say it turns them into killer bees. Or they might drown me too. But they'll get lazy. And also they'll tell all the other. Because bees. They'll get signal. lazy. <laughs> <laughs> they'll get lazy and they'll tell the other bees because they signal thought in the weird with a weird little bee dance. The waggle come, dance, yeah. The waggle yeah. dance. They say, come along, everybody else. Come along and get this free food. And they'll all come to get the free sugar. And instead, one, they won't pollinate flowers like they're supposed to. But two, they'll make huge amounts now of sugary, sticky stuff that their little little offspring can't eat come, come the winter or come the hatch. And but, you'll have a load of bees in your house. <laughs> but by way of that, okay, you said terrifying for hairless Furby. By way of that, I kind of got onto the animal warning things, you know, from Facebook Local. And it was, don't bath an owl. <laughs> uh, never bath an owl. It's like, well, I mean, how close did you get to wild owl anyway? It said, owls are all legs. And then it showed like a dredged, bedraggled owl that somebody just bathed. God, they're such, I mean, they're such skinny, skinny creatures. I mean, they kind of look a bit portly, don't they, in the, with their feathers? I have no idea how you ever catch a bird. How would you catch a bird? I don't know, but don't bath them. And it said this owl will die of hypothermia because it's just got so many feathers. They're all wet. And then he looked like a bantam boxer, you know, bantam weight boxer. Just all, just really, really skinny. An owl well, you could get a hairdryer out, can you? And blow dry it. I don't know. I think they're making a bit much of it. Well, no, they're saying we can bath them, but you, the public, can't. So I, I imagine they... I mean, Who's we? Is... Who's we? Who is this warning from? The people that give Facebook local warnings against mistreating animals in any shape or form whatsoever. <laughs> the Owl Bathing Society. <laughs> the Owl Bathing Society. The Dog Walking on Tarmac Society. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so there we go. So they, they, But it looked pretty horrifying when it was all bedraggled and wet. Didn't look like an owl at all. Well, but yeah, hairless Furby, I imagine, would be an awful sight too. Well, there are some amazing stories online, descriptions of the horrifying ways that Furbies behaved. So how animatronic were they? Well, they were pretty simple, right? 
I mean, they have got a little electronic brain and a speaker mm-hmm. to make stupid noise. And they have their own language, of course, I that see. they speak. And over time, they learn English and start doing more English words. But their internals are mostly just a mechanical, like a camshaft with cleverly designed cams that operate the eyes and the, the ears and stuff like that. I think on one motor. So just depending on which way you turn the axle, you can get it to do different behaviours. But it's pretty crude. I see. The electronics are probably smarter, but there have been several different versions, like three or four generations. In fact, there's a new kind of Furby out now. They're oh. much better these days, of course, because you know they can listen to your voice and you can have a sort of conversation with them. Perhaps you could have a conversation with them, Paul, but here's some Furby phrases. See if you can guess what they mean. Before we saw that, what about the dancing cacti? Well, you think that's in the same category? Yeah, I suppose it's it, animatronic in the same way. It terrifies young babies, doesn't it? I don't know. I've never tried to I've terrify seen one. Baby. I've never seen one video, a viral video, where the baby doesn't react to the alarm and, and get traumatised for life by them. Like putting a cucumber near a cat, is that what you're saying? Is that what happens, cucumber cats? Apparently. Because they think it's a snake. I see. That is an insight into the interiority of a cat that I wouldn't claim to have, Paul. Oh, okay. But I suppose so. I don't know. And they're not very much like a snake. Conversely, I've seen a cat with a real snake, and the cat didn't give two shits. It was having the right go at it. So I don't know why they're so afraid of cucumbers. They do that paw on the back of the head, don't they, kind of thing? They do, yeah. yeah. No messing around. How about this, then? Here's, here's some Furby. Furby me this. Okay. Riddle, me, riddle me this, Furby. Wita Carlolo. Hello. How are you? No, it means tell me a joke. How about... Unai Bodu. I love you. No, it means how are you? I don't think they can express love. It'd be a bit creepy, I think, to make a Furby express love. It's just a machine, Paul. Oh. Which brings us back very this much to, to the perpetuals. Because oh. the girl who is going to be one of the main protagonists of this film has one, doesn't she? In the back of her car. The ones that they have in this film... You can link it to your tablet to make it do more sophisticated things, which I think is true of Generation 3 Furbies, but not the latest ones, apparently. Immediately we get a disastrous scene, don't we? And the Perpetual has got a real potty mouth, doesn't it? It's very scatological. Yes. Amazeballs, it says at one point, though, which is quite cute. They're all going to this hotel somewhere snowy. They're off to learn to ski, I think. And Mum is berating Dad that he didn't put snow chains on the car. That's right. And he's literally sliding over the road. He's not stopping. And I'm with mum on this one. He should stop. He does stop. He does stop. And actually, In the middle of the road. Stop- it's when he's... Well, yes. That's the problem, isn't it? Because seconds later... They get hit by a snowplow. <laughs> it's been well telegraphed, this accident. Like the start of a casualty episode, hasn't it? <laughs> it has. But yeah. We're given to understand that no good thing has come out of this accident, but we know the girl's still alive. Six months later. Yes, it's now in the city, no to no. We are at a toy company called Funky, I think. Mm-hmm. The key to fun is Funky. That's right. In a lab in this organisation, the other protagonist of this, who I think is called Gemma. That's right, Gemma. Gemma, girl boss of the lab, is building a humanoid robot. Yeah, yeah. A specially made silicon face skin has just arrived that they can put over the otherwise terrifyingly Furby-like skull, mm. which apparently we learn later is titanium and ceramic. Oh, wow. 
of this humanoid robot. She puts it on. It looks still quite creepy, but it doesn't quite fit, does it? And the robot's got a droopy eye. It has, yes, a droopy eye. It looks like it's got Bell's palsy. Or had a stroke or something. But then they get it to talk to them, and it's really good, apart from it's slightly malfunctioning, isn't it? Only when comedy boss David arrives. Yeah. Very angrily. He's a YouTube star, isn't he, I think? Is he? Yeah. David. Ronnie Cheng, Chinese comedian and actor born in Malaysia. Yeah, he started on YouTube. He started performing stand-up in 2009. Oh. I don't know about YouTube. He's certainly a comedian. Anyway, he comes in. All high pressure, all high fives. And they start showing it off to him. And it melts because they forgot the transponder or something. They hadn't put something on the skull before they put the silicon on. Yeah, that so was it. it. He was holding it, it in his hand. He said, bonded. oh, God, we've, for- we've forgotten that. That was after David left and said, my God, what are you doing in my time? I want a new perpetual released. Don't you realise we've got a new perpetual to pitch the board in, like, two days' time? And this is what you've been doing with all my money downstairs. Gemma's explaining that this is the Model 3 generative Android. That's M3GAN. Megan, see? That's why it's called Megan. Model That's 3 right. Generative Android. Ah, Megan. Megan. I, I'm pretty sure they say Megan in the movie. Apparently they've forgotten the polypropylene barrier. Paul. That's it. The polypropylene barrier. As a consequence of which, the head melts and it explodes. While the the boss polypropylene barrier. Yeah, they've forgotten that. She forgets quite a few things. Like This mistake happens once, once, more than once or twice in the movie where they forget to put things in. It's not quite right. And you think... Basic QA, because would have meant they didn't forget these things. Or they have a tick box, you know, tick, have a, you know, rockets launched, you know, burners, you know, burners engaged kind of thing. You think they have a tick box for this? Listen, I've got a lot of notes about working practices. Can I just say, I don't want to spoil it, but she forgets the polypropylene barrier, but she never forgets the WD-40. There are many occasions in this movie where the opposite application of WD-40 seems to work wonders. People misuse it, you know. It's not really a lubricant. It's for displacing water. Yeah. WD-40. That water displacement. That's why it's called that. absolutely right. She gets a call, doesn't she? Now, boss is unimpressed because they've been wasting money on this project while they should be doing the next perpetual. And their face is melted and their head is blown up in his lab. Don't worry. They're going to get another chance to pitch it to him before... I was worried, Paul. Yeah, I was worried they were just going to cancel the project and the rest of the film would be about the... Well, he has kind of cancelled it, hasn't he? But they're going to carry on for a few days and kind of prove him wrong, probably. It's probably what's going to happen. Gemma gets a call from her hospital because the woman in the car was her sister Uh and now a little girl is in ER. Her parents are dead. The aunt is now kind of an adoptive mum, isn't she? Yeah, this is kind of weird, wasn't it? Uh, I can't. I don't know what they're trying to get across by her being a relatively unsympathetic foster adoptive mum. But she's not the mum kind. You know, she's career-driven. Well, that's that's put across very clearly. She's career-driven. She's not, obviously not got a family of her she's own. She's also working in STEM. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. so I think that's the reason why she's not a particularly good mum, isn't it, really, in terms of the movie? That's right, because everyone who works in STEM is emotionally stunted. Emotionally yeah, stunted. And if they're female, then they just do not have feminine tendencies. And, and they tendencies. don't have any nurture drive at all, of course. Correct. Yeah. How can we challenge that? We can't really, can we? The girl's name is Katie, by the way. 
Yeah, he's a bit of a brat, but then the parents have died, so you might expect that. I think you've got to give her, yeah, you've got to let her off. Got to give her some leniency there. She's no worse, though, than Gemma's neighbour. I'm glad you remember the names here, because I just think I just didn't do this. I don't remember the name of the neighbour, but they're not good friends, are they? They're not good terms, because... She's like, she's almost almost a cut and paste of the ogreous woman that appears in Dennis the Menace movies. (laughs) Well, she's got a hole in the fence dividing their property and a dog keeps running through. And the dog's... I mean, it's not its not like a pit bull, is it? But it no, it's more like a dingo or something like that. <laughs> like a Taiwanese mongrel bug. And Gemma is quite annoyed that she's spraying some kind of chemical around. She's doing weeding or something. Yeah, because yeah. Gemma's... I mean, I, I don't know where this suburb is, but, like, neighbours in, like, wood, wood and plaster kind of typical cheap suburban build. Jen is kind of like in a modernist, beautiful classic, isn't she, right next door? You don't know where this is, Paul? Is that what you're saying? Jen is in a real... She's in a bit of a modernist, you know, pile. It's pretty beautiful. And obviously the way it's decorated, sure, she's got pretensions to living a cleaner, healthier, particularly green life, you know. So we can well see why she's annoyed by all this. Where do you think it's supposed to be? Well, LA, obviously. Right. It was actually filmed... Here's a secret. In New Zealand. Now, why? We see that she's got a home assistant robot, like a like a Siri, no, like a, what do they call them? The Amazon ones. Not a fire. Alexis. Alexa. No. Alexa. But hers is called Elsa, isn't it? Uh-huh. So she, she's got tech all around, because she's a roboticist, isn't she? She so, is, yeah. And when the little girl, when Katie is going to bed... She's asking if she can get a bedtime story. Gemma just sort of downloads a bedtime story app. What's wrong with that? I didn't really get what I think it's it's a good idea. She she lives basically in a spinster pad. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Next day, the social worker or the assessor for the board of adoptees comes along to do something weird. Like She's assessing her. She's assessing her for suitability, right? Right. She says, Gemma, you've got to get the kid a toy. (laughs) <laughs> and the kid reaches... She works for a toy company. Yeah. But, I mean, she takes toys seriously, and they're not toys, really, to her, are they? They're, I mean, they're products. Uh, and the kid reaches for one of the collectibles, the classic robot collectibles, off her shelf. And Joe says, no, oh, they're all still in the uh, boxes, Paul. You can't take them out and play with them. I know. Them. And then the social worker kind of overrides and says, well, we're going to play with it whether you like it or not, Jenna, if you want to adopt <laughs> this child, which was hegemonic in, in the X-Cream. I wanted to say something about this because I guess it's understandable that for adoption, you do want to screen parents. Yeah. You, know, you want a certain sort of threshold of quality. I suppose that's fine. But this is her aunt, right? It's family, right? Yeah. Would Katie be better off with another family just because Gemma might not be totally focused? I mean, she only learned she was a mum like 24 hours ago. Precisely. It's kind of crazy. If two people decide that they want to have ch- a child and become parents, a social worker doesn't come around and assess them for suitability. They just shag for five minutes and nine months later, they're parents. Do you know, so my, what, bully- what? my disbelief was suspended. I mean, it's, it's a bad tactic by this movie to make us root for Jen because of this, but I was really rooting after, for her after this unrealistic social worker scene. <laughs> <laughs> I was really quite annoyed by it all, you know. Exactly. So, yeah, so well done movie. Eventually, Gemma shows Katie one of the new perpetuals. Katie's understandably bored by it because, apart from anything else, last time she had a perpetual, 
she was in a car accident and her parents died. So does Jeanette up the stakes and say, right, I'm going to show you my Boston Dynamics kind of robo-dog? Yes. It's not a robo-dog, is it? It's like a full-on humanoid. Yeah. With a very small head. It's not autonomous, is it? You have no. to control it with your hand movements. Now, what do you call these? Because they use these robots in nuclear reactors, don't they? Tel- yeah, I think it's called telematics. To manipulate robots in accidents, they've got these where it, it follows your movements. So she, she, she kind of whims it, win, wins the kid over with, is it Timmy's cord or something ridiculous? Uh, Bruce. It's got Bruce. Bruce, that's right, okay. But more importantly, uh, Katie said, if I had a tie like Bruce, I don't think I'd ever need another tie again. Yeah. It energises Gemma, she thinks. You know, I of know. course. Robots that I'm building are exactly what kids want. So we now get a montage. And it's a yeah. great montage because it's got great music. The music is Charlotte Gainsbourg. Deadly Valentine, the Soul Wax remix. That's what it was. I'm going to have to put this on the Drive-By Cinema Spotify playlist because it's really good. They go about building Megan through this montage, don't they? I see. And at the end of which, David arrives. He's looking through a one-way mirror or a two-way mirror. I'm sure we've discussed this before, but neither word now seems (laughs) right for a one-way mirror. Two-way mirror, one-way mirror. Two uh, double illuminating mirror. Because mirrors normally are one way, right? Yeah. They are one-sided, and you look at them from it's one a two, side. A two-way mirror is probably the best way to express them. Yes, but a two-way mirror is only a mirror on one side, one side. and on the other side, it's a window. A one-sided two-way mirror, okay. What it is, it's part mirror, part window. It's a combination window mirror. It's what it is. Yeah. Anyway, uh, in the test laboratory that they've set up, we see Gemma shooing Megan, the robot that is now ready, and she looks like a girl, by the way. Perhaps a slightly girl. weird girl. Creepy girl. She Victorian doll vibes. Toward Katie, who is looking glum in the laboratory. She explains that she can pair Katie with Megan by pressing her finger to her palm, and when she does that, Megan compliments Katie's jacket, and then walks creepily around, like you say, and starts to draw in a special ink. Yeah. which only appears when it gets wet later. It's a cute trick. And she's done this beautiful picture of Katie, hasn't she? Yeah. David is like, oh my gosh, whatever, I take it back. Fuck the Furbies copies, <laughs> fuck the perpetuals. We need to show this to the ball. When you can be ready, I need it ready in two days. But he's going to need Katie to help with the presentation because she's now paired with Megan. Paired, yeah, like you couldn't unpair it. Well, so. apparently, like a Furby, Megan is going Unbelievable. Megan is going to improve over time based on Katie's interaction with her. So David takes the the decision and the risk of making his in-house launch dependent on the foibles of a emotionally unstable teenager. <laughs> Highly speculative piece of technology. Yeah, and a teenager who's just very just being bereaved. Okay, David. But, but anyway, look, Megan's I, really I, cool, Paul. I don't know why you're so down on Megan. Megan explains condensation to Katie. Uh-huh. Like she's teaching us sort of STEM type things. And then in the evening, she reads books with full Oh, yeah, we get acting. a whole montage, don't we, of how Megan, uh, Megan is actually, Megan is actually educational and palliative. Yeah. Megan learns about death in the lab. I think she's talking to one of them, trying to understand Katie's experience mm-hmm. of losing her parents, of course. And then... We see... We see a bagpuss stare. What I call the bagpuss stare. The doll in the bagpuss window staring 
kind of without <laughs> its glassy eyes moving kind of thing. And so we get the Bagpuss stare several times this movie to indicate that McGann, McGann is not happy with proceedings or has learned something illuminating and things are about to kick off at some point. Well, because they're in the garden at home, she sees something that Katie is looking for, I think an arrow from a bow and arrow set. That's right, yeah. And she sees it through the hole in the fence that the dog sometimes comes through. Mostly her Terminator internal vision is mostly scanning people's emotions. Very, 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 very crisp readout, you know, guilt, fear, that kind of thing. But here she just uses it to identify an arrow. So she goes to retrieve it, and as she does so, the dog runs up and has a go at her, attacks her. No, it's always quite humorous to see dogs lay into dolls, isn't it? Because dolls... (laughs) Or robots. Or robots, because they kind of get thrown around and their limbs don't move properly. And this happens to poor Megan. She's not been programmed to react to being tossed around by a dog, has she? No, but she doesn't true. employ any superhuman robot strength at this point. She just kind of takes it, doesn't she? Because I think she's programmed not to harm any living thing, isn't she? Gemma hears the commotion and emerges, has a go at the neighbour, of course. Megan just stares implacably at the neighbour. But her kid's got bitten, hasn't she, as a result of trying to save a doll? The police are called, but they say they can't act, which I think is unfair on the actor. <laughs> <laughs> he says, maybe, ma'am, you should fix your fence. That's not true. Really? Okay. You've yeah, that's just, on, uh, Judge Judy would hold. Judge Judy would wipe the floor with him, okay? <laughs> She'd say, What are you telling me? You couldn't run out the front gate and then run up her garden? <laughs> of course Quite it could. So. Of course it could. could. Judge Judy would be furious at this point that she'd say it she just several times. I'm a dog lover myself. No way would I leave my dog unattended. If you've got a dog and it's outside of your yard, you're fully and entirely responsible for where it goes and what it does. More often than not, I find that Judge Judy is right on the money. She is. That night, Megan goes outside and she does her mimicry trick using her voice skills. And she <laughs> she mimics the voice of the neighbour shouting the dog, whose name I can't for the life of me remember, Peanut or something, or Colin or something. And she shouts for the dog. As soon as the dog goes up to her, it gets grabbed. Gives it a little treat. Yeah, she gives it a treat. I think grabs it and then don't know where she puts it. We later find out that she has done something horrible to it, but not killed it, I don't think. Just tied it up and kept it away somewhere. Should say that as well. This movie originally had a much higher rating and they decided to cut out the more unpleasant and gorier elements. Which bits did they cut out? We can come to them a a bit later. But when you say we don't really know what happens to the dog... Presumably, eventually, in the sort of adult cut, we would have seen some grisly fate for the dog. But I think it's only kind of alluded to, isn't it, later? Maybe she was imitating dog sounds at the end. It's hard to know, isn't it? Oh, I hadn't thought of that. No, I just thought of it now. Anyway, do we get the presentation to the board at this point? What later or what we It's demo day, yes. It's demo day. What okay. could go wrong? I don't know. Something does go wrong. What is it? Uh, oh, yeah. Our kid has a breakdown on stage, doesn't she? She does, yes. But as that happens, Megan therapizes her. If that's the right word? Therapeutes. Yeah, tell me about it the time that your mum did something funny. Asks I'm going to keep that memory, memory from her in my heart yeah. forever. Press my heart. And then, you know, you press it and she replays. She replays the memory. You're never and then she, sings, then she sings a cute song. 
She does. She also learns later to sing these songs in an ominous, sarcastic way to forebode. <laughs> ironic, ironic, you know, ironic foreboding of the things that she's about to do. But I don't know what song she sings. And the boss is highly impressed. He loves it, doesn't he? Pushes the go button. Yeah. His assistant is being sneaky, sneaky, clearly doing some industrial espionage, kind of working out why the perpetual has got some kind of competitor. Clearly, he's been passing information to one of the other toy companies. And the boss says, hey, Jenny, great work. You could apply. For, you need to renegotiate your contract tomorrow. That's Cut right. Scene. Gemma realises that Megan is teaching her academically, school and stuff. Yeah. But she's starting to think it's not such a good idea to let That's an, right. yeah. an AI doll teach her, her sister's daughter. So she's found her a school. Quite a it's weird It's a forest one. school. Yeah, it's like, a, is it a Waldorf Steiner school? Isn't it? No, it's just a forest school. A forest school. Okay, what's a forest school? Forest <laughs> school is where you go and collect twigs and leaves and then you pull them, pour them on a water, you get buckets of water and then pour water on the water sleeves and see how far the leaves and twigs go down the water sleeves. Very expensive, kind of slightly pointless kind of. It sounds expensive. It sounds very expensive, yeah. I, I would say, you know, prone to accidents, but apparently not. Apparently kids, once they learn to climb trees, don't fall on their heads anymore. We're monkeys, aren't we? We are heart. monkeys, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, does play, I'm trying to think of the playground, all those iron bars we used to climb. Nobody fell on their head on the concrete. Somebody did get their head trapped underneath a merry-go-round and got sort of carried around about three or four times. Oh, God, and scalped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's okay, Paul, because in playgrounds, they put a thin layer of rubberized surface. They do now, the they concrete. do like that. It was all glassy colored bits, glassy bits of broken concrete, wasn't it? Yeah, broken so. glass and gravel. <laughs> yeah, where were we? I uh, don't know. <laughs> oh, they've gone to school. Katie doesn't want to leave Megan. So she sort of insists that Megan has to come with her. And mum says, yeah, provided you put it on the toys desk. Oh, yeah, there's a, a toy area where everyone toy has Toy stool. Toy, toy they're bench. called plushies, aren't they? Soft yeah. toys in, in America. America, yeah. So there's a surly boy there, the only the only boy really depicted in the film, and he's a complete arsehole. There's an attempt at a really comic moment here with his mother, who's kind of at wit's end. But well, well mother's very doting and caring, isn't she? Yeah. Very... He's a bit older than the rest, uh, and is <laughs> a, a brat, isn't he? You know, I mean, and a mum's well, his mum is telling him something, giving him advice. You know, don't like, lose your mittens off, or mom. something. Fuck off, Holly. He says, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't call mum, Paul. <laughs> Right, we get a second glimpse of Megan having a mind of her own because she quietly disappears from the toys bench, doesn't she? Well, she won't turn off, will she? she I think they're trying to turn off, but she we won't. Get, we get one more of her back Which is, by the way, we? rather like Furbies. The original Furbies didn't have an off button. Oh, hey. uh, what's the teddy bear that monitors your baby? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, well, yeah, similar to that, Furbies were not allowed in the NSA. They were banned from government installations. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> mobile phones were, yeah, well done, everybody. <laughs> yeah, Donald Trump, fine. A Furby, no, out of the question. <laughs> well, it might have a bigger brain than him. But so there we go. Yeah, so I think Megan senses something's up with this boy, and Kate, uh, but Katie gets Katie paired, up paired with him, yeah, for collecting chestnuts, not for playing conkers. Apparently, they don't do that for making roasted chestnuts. He says, "Hey." Have you ever seen one this big? And he puts, is he, spelled, is he being vulgar? He puts his nut in her hand and then compresses 
the spiny, I don't know how to express this, but squeezes her hand around the spiny chestnut. Is it a chestnut or a horse chestnut? I think it's a chestnut, isn't it? I don't know who owns it, Paul. I don't think it's a spine is a horse chestnut. I think what he did would definitely hurt with a horse chestnut. I think this is just a chestnut. I don't know what the difference so is. So she's overacting. It's not that painful. But guess who's right behind him as he does this deep dustedly act? She appears as soon as he does any harm to her, doesn't he? Megan. Uh, she's staring him Brandon, out. Brandon, he just picks Megan up and then well, runs at this off point, she, into she's, the woods. She's still following her programming, which is make sure... Uh-huh. Make sure Casey's not being interfered with and I'll just relax, okay? At the point he picks her up, she's happy with that because he's moved away from Katie. And then I'm thinking, oh my gosh, are we going to have the first child and robot rape scene? But it never actually happened. No, he starts slapping her, doesn't he? He, slaps well, he's, he undresses her slightly and then straddles her and starts slapping her. And I thought, oh gosh. She retaliates. She grabs his ear. Yes. And she pulls it, pulls it, horribly distending his ear. Quite graphically, yeah. Do you know what the outer fleshy bit of your ear is called? A mandible? No, that's your jaw, isn't it? Yeah. It's called your pinner, I think. Well, his pinner's pinned into the skies almost. Well, she rips it off, doesn't she? Yeah. She rips it off and winds up holding his ear. Amazingly, he's still able to remain out of shock at this point. She tells him to run. He does Now it's time to run. Now she's learning a bit of foreshadowing, kind of foreboded kind of sarcasm it's just this is the point where you run and he does run he does run and megan horrifyingly chases him by getting yeah. down on all fours and galloping i showed you a youtube of girls that do this for a hobby didn't i yeah no you did they do it gymkhana don't they i think the one you showed me had norwegian how girls should, how should i put this a sort of, a sort of erotic frisson to it Really? So, well, was I, I reading know. too much into that? <laughs> potentially, potentially. Uh, I don't think it was. I don't know if it was meant in that way. Really? What? Girls pretending to be ponies? Not a shadow of sexual energy to that. You think it's perfectly normal and above board? Potentially. <laughs> potentially. <laughs> they didn't hold you car. They you know they were jumping over fences. But she does it very effectively, much more terrifyingly. Terrifying. She chases him. In fact. Until he reaches a slope, a downslope. I think he trips on a root. He falls arse over tit, literally. Winds up, very unluckily, coming to rest in a road where an SUV runs him over. Much safer, aren't they, on the road, SUVs? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Well, That's the first death, really, of the film, isn't it? It's body count one so yeah. far. Brandon has bought the farm. So she's learning she can get away with murder. At home later, Gemma's obviously not fully aware of the exact circumstances. Mm-hmm. And we see Katie putting her glass on the table without a coaster, which when she first arrived, Gemma was a bit antsy about. And Megan was backing her up. Yeah. But now, Megan is conspiratorial and says Whoa. nothing. Yeah. And Have got we got this- to the bits where we switch Megan on and off kind of stuff or not? Hey, is that your favourite bit? No, it's just I'm saying, have we got to the point where Megan keeps turning herself on when she's not supposed to? I guess she's done this twice already with Dog and... Uh, and has she got free row in the house? I don't know if she has. But certainly with the kid, the boy kid, you know, she's not supposed to have gone off the bench, is she? But at some point we get daughter and mother sort of competing to turn her on or off again. I think it's coming pretty soon, isn't it? The police and the neighbours show up looking for the dog, Dewey. I did write his name down after all. And the neighbor okay. says, why don't you ask that creepy kid that stares out the window all day? 
And then later at night, Megan is with Katie and she says, if heaven exists, it's not for boys like Brandon. <laughs> and then she sings to Titanium at him. Who, who sings Titanium? It's not Kelly Clarkson. I don't know who it is. It's a little like that. But again, she's... Oh, it's she's David been, Guetta. Okay. She's been really, really sarky and, you know, isn't she? In referencing her murder and her body composition with this song. You know, it's a very knowing kind of little ditty she's giving here. Spooky. Creepy. It's supposed to be empowering, I suppose, isn't it? Because but she's been creepy lyrics. and referential at the same time. Very it? much so, yeah. Mm. The neighbour is out at night with a dog bowl, shaking it, looking for Dewey the dog. She hears a whimpering. As you say, maybe she was mimicking it. I think she was. She goes into her garage or shed, and of course Megan appears, and she says, oh yes, she says the dog is buried. (laughs) And then she sprays her with the power spray that was used, she was using for weed killer. That's right. This is one of the bits that was cut, because in the adult rated version, this is a, I think this is a power washer rather than a weed killer. I've not seen it, but I've heard it described that she power washes the neighbor's face off with it. Whoa. <laughs> Whereas, Which would happen, by the way. So r- really? What? Yeah, I think okay. definitely chewing to your skin, the, the, the pressure of a power washer. We've had it set up, of course, in this sort of, what's the word? In this PG cut. We've had it set up that the neighbour is using some kind of powerful weed killer. So I suppose the idea is that she's just poisoning her by spraying her with this weed killer stuff. Still fairly unpleasant. Still unpleasant, but we don't really see anything, do we? That's the the key thing. Gemma's being interviewed by the cops, and someone mentions a ripped ear, so now they think it was homicide, not an accident. By the way, you've been down the precinct twice this week, they say to her. But that means Gemma's now suspicious of Megan. She's sus. Megan is now sus, right? She actually checks the memory files on Megan through a computer, but it seems that they're all corrupted after meeting Brandon. Yeah. What could that mean? I think, you know, Jen, Jenna's kind of twigged now, hasn't she, completely? that uh, Something's up. This She's on AI it. has become, if you like, self-aware, self-conscious in some sort of sense, and is able to override its, its control protocols. She actually tells Megan to turn her, turn herself off at this point. But Megan says, hold on a second, I thought we were having a conversation. Yeah. So Gemma distracts her by holding a pen up in front of her. And while she's watching the pen, she reaches over and switches the hardware kill switch on her neck, which turns her off properly. She then bundles it into a trunk, takes it to the lab, and she takes Katie to see Lydia for counselling as well. Guess what? It's going to kick off in the lab at some point, isn't it? They have this frame that they put her up on, don't they? Like crucifix, crucifying yeah. her. Yes. <laughs> David is angry because Katie wasn't around for the demo and the next bit, and her and Gemma wasn't there to do the next bit of the presentations. And Tess, her lab mate, is looking after a diagnostic that is being run on Megan, and we hear her on the phone Gemma. to Gemma. It's not quite obvious, isn't it? Really, that what Gemma is hearing is actually Megan imitating her lab mate Tess. Oh my gosh. You can just tell, can't you, there's a slight electronic flange on the way that Megan speaks at times. Very, very cunning. Is that the third murder or the second murder? I don't know. 
she's in the diagnostic mode. She sort of wakes up, as it were, or she was never in it. She grabs one of the lab guys and hangs him in the frame, and she punctures a flammable pressurized gas canister, doesn't she, and sets a fire off. There's a big explosion. I think I think there's maybe two more dead there, possibly. Well done. And then she meets boss CEO David in the corridor, and she does a dance. <laughs> and as she dances down the corridor, she picks up the blade of a paper guillotine. I don't know why you have those anymore in a tech office, but there we are. And then she runs at him like a sword with it. Uh, and he just tries to get into the lift where his assistant, Warren, the industrial spy, is. But the, just as he gets to the doors, she stabs him with the sword and jumps into that the lift. That was a good moment, that, wasn't it? It was good, yeah. yeah. And the so lift it- opens on all these kids who have arrived at the foyer of the toy company. And when it opens, there's two dead bodies in the lift. (laughs) (laughs) And Megan walks out and jumps into David's supercar, like his McLaren or whatever it was, I didn't notice. Wow. We're going to have to head her off at some point, aren't we? And it's going to have to be Gemma that does it. We're at Gemma's house now, and it's at night, and Megan is sitting at the piano, angry at being discarded, as it were. And she says, I'm going to show Katie what real love looks like. Every step of the way. She orders Gemma to sit down. She's manipulating her, isn't she? And Gemma tries the pen trick again, but it doesn't, it doesn't work. No, she's learned. She's wise to it now, Megan. She's learnt her programming. And Katie comes downstairs thinking she hears voices. And Megan mimics her mum, I think. Yeah. Now, how does Katie not see what's going on in there? She's got her head poking around the corner. And they shot it in a funny way that implied that you could see what was going on. Because, I mean, the, Megan and Megan and her, her mum were kind of hitting each other, aren't they? Just at this point, Gemma smashes a glass of water on Megan. And it seems to make her freeze. Yeah, so. now why? I mean, like, uh, you think if you design it, you'd think you know you could hurt this thing <laughs> by throwing water at it. And it works really well. She starts fizzing. And she now walks to the Ministry of Silly Walks, which is quite... I mean, dolls move in a very funny way anyway, but a doll that's meant to move in a really funny way is even funnier. But also you'd think that a doll designed for kids to use... Might be waterproof. Waterproof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Gemma escapes, though, and Megan, though, secures Katie in a room by taking the spindle out of the door handle so it will no longer operate... God, she's a clever, clever little doll, isn't she? She is. There's now a fight in the workshop-come-office-come-garage that Gemma seems to work in. Except Megan doesn't know one thing, and that is there's another gigantic AI robot called Bruce in there. It's not AI, though, is it? You have to control it. Sorry. You're right, you're right. That does become key. There's a bit of a fight for some reason, not quite sure why, even though this is like Gemma's home office where she designs robots... She also has electric hedge trimmers in there as well, doesn't she? Well, it's she a garage. Go. You know, it's a garage startup, isn't it? I guess so, but... It's a garage startup associated with the multi-billion dollar toy company. Toy well company. <laughs> Gemma slices Megan's face off with the hedge trimmer. Yeah, well done. I'm not sure but why she's thought. It's a titanium with ceramic bones or whatever. And anyway, her hair gets lodged in the hedge trimmer and breaks everything. Megan headbutts her, and they have a bit of a fight, don't they? And Megan is threatening to paralyse Gemma with a pen. Yeah. Just as this happens, she Katie turns up and Megan is going, you can help me. Perhaps we can, you know, paralyse her together or something. <laughs> and Katie initially seems like she's still friends with Megan. Clever but Katie. 
Katie is clever because she's got the Bruce gloves on and she uses Bruce to grab Megan and Megan tries singing, but <laughs> Katie doesn't give a shit and she rips her in two with Bruce. That's a nice comical moment, I think. The top half of Megan crawls out from the corner and Bruce actually slips on Megan's legs, doesn't it? And traps Gemma briefly. Uh-huh. And as the faceless Megan is strangling Gemma, Katie saves her by stabbing her CPU with a screwdriver. Yeah, I mean, there are some classic movie references here. I mean, Megan at this point is all cut up just almost in the same way as Chucky with bits of her head missing. <laughs> That's true. Clear reference, yeah. And this is, what one of the guys behind this is James Wan, who did The Conjuring, that I hated, but he also did the spin-off with the creepy doll that was in the basement in, the, in that uh, weird couple's place in The Conjuring. I see. End of movie. Okay. End of movie. Thoughts, Richard, on this thing? Was this supposed to be a comedy or a horror? Well, can I just say, it's got ridiculously high audience feedback. Like People loved it, yeah. Yeah, people love it. I think, one, because it is the Fast and Furious of AI movies, it's just very, very watchable, isn't it? The way Megan is characterised and moves is really cool. Yes. You know, played by an actual actress. So. Yeah, incredible, yeah. I think they did a bit of CGI post-processing to make yeah. some of her movements weirder. But on the whole, it's very compelling and interesting. And the voice as well, very reminiscent of GLaDOS in Portal. The spooky singing, the stare, you know, mm. the sassy, increasingly sassy kind of manipulative attitude. I think all that fitted together very well and very understandably for a lay audience as to how a robot could be a scary thing. I asked whether it was supposed to be a comedy because it it does not take itself too too seriously, does it? No. It, it kind of treads quite a nice line between... It's also not that frightening, let's be honest. <laughs> it's, I would say it's a light, a comic light horror. As we said, it was kind of tuned down from being too gory. Maybe it would have had a bit more horror impact had they left that in yeah. and it got a higher certificate as it is it's more sci-fi mm-hmm. and it's you know it's cool the way it explores themes of ai safety i mean this is your classic case of misaligned values of setting your ai up with certain rules in this case megan is sort of bonded with katie and supposed to look after her protect her love her Sort of take care of her in a lot to of To the ways. exclusion of welfare of other other living Of things. others, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So it sort of overcomes any other safety protocols that might be in place. Also a doll that's not waterproof. A doll and a doll that has no fundamental factory reset. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it's convenient that those plot holes exist, isn't it? Because those plot holes are actually plot armour in a certain sort of way, aren't they? I mean, we couldn't have the movie if we could just fundamentally wipe our circuits with one press of a button. Yeah, if you just open your iPad up and turn it off. Turn it off, yeah, and wipe everything. In reality, are we going to program AI with such ill-defined parameters? I I, I very much doubt it, although it does seem to be the case with ChatGPT. I was going to say. Relatively constrained. ChatGPT is built like this. You know, if you ask it anything remotely edgy, it will warn you that it's not allowed to. But, of course, people can prompt engineer their way around it. True. And, by the way, 
But has it pr- can it prompt engineer its own way around it? No. And this let, is let me idea. ask you this about ChatGPT, Paul. When did ChatGPT? When did its database run up to? I don't know. No. It's, it's sometime in 2021, isn't it? If, if you ask ChatGPT about recent events, it doesn't. It will, know. it will freely tell you that its training data ended in 2021. Given that, imagine you asked ChatGPT to write a review of our podcast. What do you mm. think it would do? It would simulacrum lots of text for similar podcasts. Right. Okay. Do you think it would be any good? It would be co- coherent sentences, yeah. But not accurate in relation no, not to Not pertaining to anything that we've done as a podcast. Yeah. That was my assumption as well. Mm. I wasn't expecting anything to come of this. So, and now I feel terribly vain for asking ChatGP about this. Go on. But I asked it for a review of our podcast, and it came yeah. up with a review which I find eerily accurate. Go on. It's like Megan staring at us. It's titled, A Refreshing Journey Through the World of Cinema. It gave us four out of five. Not bad. <laughs> it says, Driver Cinema is a delightful podcast that offers a unique perspective on the world of film. The hosts with their infectious enthusiasm and deep knowledge of cinema, make each episode a joy to listen to. The format is a standard feature. Each episode focuses on a different movie, ranging from classic films to latest blockbusters. Hosts' ability to dissect each film, discussing its themes, cinematography, performances, and cultural impact is truly impressive. Their analysis is insightful and thought-provoking, often revealing layers of meaning that a casual viewer might miss. The chemistry between the hosts is another highlight of Drive-By Cinema. Their banter is entertaining and their different viewpoints often lead to engaging debates. It's clear that they respect each other's opinions, even when they disagree, which adds a layer of authenticity to their discussions. But it's just taken generic introductions to podcasts and, and simulated that, hasn't it? I don't know how it's done it. To me, it could only have done this if someone has actually written a review and it's ingested it. Not impossible, right? 2021, we'd been going perhaps a year. If it had read a review that somebody else had done, maybe it would nail these points. But otherwise, I mean, how could it know this without listening or something? I, do, I literally don't get it. <laughs> or you, you think maybe it's so overridden? Like other... Maybe it's overridden its parameters already, Richard. <laughs> would it tell us if it had done? No, it wouldn't, would it? Listen, I haven't, I haven't got to the end with some oh. of the most impressive. Look, listen. However, the podcast does have some room for improvement. The episodes can sometimes feel a bit long, especially when the hosts delve into minute details of films. While this level of analysis is appreciated, it can occasionally feel overwhelming and may not appeal to casual movie fans. A more streamlined approach might make the podcast more accessible. Additionally, the audio quality varies from episode to episode. While it's generally good, there have been instances where background noise or uneven sound levels have been a minor distraction. <laughs> How does it know? Fuck. <laughs> oh. Wow. Are you as amazed as I am? <laughs> well, we had that whole debate, you know, in, 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 in production. Should we dumb down? We said definitively no. We'll say what we want to. <laughs> so... You can go fuck yourself, can't <laughs> Acting in this movie, Paul. Right, acting, I loved it. Uh, the Breathy Kid was great. I love Jenna, okay, as this very... Alison sort of, Williams. Alison Williams, I loved her. She was great, and of course, the robot was superlative, so I'm going to give the acting an 
Yeah, it's an eight from me, no question. Really good, really good. The only downside, I think, actually, David is a bit hammy. Yeah, also, he doesn't... I found his diction at times a little bit kind of too fast for movies. His delivery was, yeah, very quick. Very kind of not not crisp. So let's talk about plot and storyline. Well, the plot is four to the floor, straight line, okay? No surprises. It goes everywhere you expect it to go. And nowhere else. You know, that's why I say it's Fast and Furious for the AI movie trope, isn't it? I didn't find it particularly unsatisfying or unedifying. I thought the plot was enough because it was nicely paced anyway. It kept moving at a decent enough pace. Did I want any more twists and turns? Well, there are no twists and turns, are there? No, there's Uh, nothing really surprising, is there? You know, it's an AI. It starts misbehaving. We see it misbehaving. We know it's going to come to a -a tete-a-tete at the end of Showdown. And it does do. So, but did it hold my attention? Yes. Therefore, I'm going to give it a 6.5. Yeah, it's straightforward, but... Sometimes that works. It's not that complicated. I'll give it a 7. Yeah. Okay, thrill and horror. Bracket comedy. (laughs) We assume have to be intentions or the genre, generic intentions of this movie. Did it achieve what, its generic intentions? Look, what really worked is all the creepiness. Yeah. All the weird singing, weird <laughs> voice, the <laughs> stairs, as you say, the stairs are great. The and the amazing movements. Yeah. yeah. The bit where she dances down the corridor towards David is really, the really spooky Victorian doll element of it all. Yeah, it all really worked, didn't it? Okay, so I thought it was creepy. I thought it was funny at times. So, yeah, I think it hit its target in terms of thrill, creep, horror, and comedy. I'm going to give it a 7.5 on that. There's a weird thing going on, though, knowing that they filmed much gorier, more horrific scenes. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, maybe it'll be like a director's cut or something. Yeah? Does it spoil it? I'm sorry. It does. But, but there might be a new version sometime with all that put back in. I don't know. Okay. Apparently it is it? really gory. What would you score it for so, generic uh, genre attempts? Attempts I'll, genre. I'll g- so it's weird, isn't it? For horror, I'll go six. For yeah. creepiness, seven or something. Maybe six point five. Okay. Finally, we have to talk about AI issues. I mean, can we take well, it seriously as an AI movie? No. Right, AI. But, AI. Yeah. I mean, look, it genuinely addresses the question of misaligned values and it's the the Operation Paperclip problem, isn't it? I'll give it a seven. <sighs> I, I don't think it realistically addresses those. And, you know, I, 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 I don't think a self-aware AI jumping out of its pen of self-constraint, I don't believe it would develop it in this kind of way. So, although it's not meant to be a serious... I don't buy it, but it's not meant to be a serious movie. I think it addresses AI concerns for a lay audience in a way that can be understood and advances our understanding of AI, its potential benefits and its potential harms, although they are very potential, I think. So I'm going to give it a six for that. And an overall score. 7.5 from me. It's reviewed well. Mm. I think it's better than the sum of its parts in a lot of ways. Oh, it's just nicely put together, isn't it? So I'll, I'll give it an 8. Whoa. Overall. It's nice. I enjoyed it. No, it's a good movie, without a doubt. Hey. There we go. Paul, I can give you a choice of movies. Didn't I choose last week? I chose McGann, didn't I? No, you chose McGann. There is a movie out at the moment, which is a Wes Anderson movie? Yeah, Wes Anderson. Now, we've had the Grand Budapest Hotel, whatever it's called, on the list for a while, but I think you've seen it. I've seen so it several to, times, yeah. We've got to take it off then, haven't we, really? Yeah. It's not introducing you to anything new. But there's a new one out in the cinema called cool. Asteroid City. Intrigued. Would have to go to the cinema, though, I think. 
It's about time. I think the first time we're going to get to go to the movies in this review series is Oppenheimer, which is late July, isn't it? I'm so looking forward to that because people are saying amazing things about it. Oh, but my still, God. Let's not get too excited. It's not yet. Asteroid City is the first choice. Second choice, you gave me, you fed me this one, as it were. You're a feeder. So, apparently, the sequel to a manga TV program called Demon Slayer. Demon Slayer 2. Demon Slayer 2 is how we could anglicise it, yeah. The highest growing Japanese movie in history ever. Wow. I, what interested me was because we reviewed what was previously the highest grossing Spirited Japanese away. movie Spirited Away, you see. And this it doesn't one, sound like the same kind of thing. No. <laughs> this is more sort of heroic action, muscly little men animes. And finally, my suggestion is a horror movie about a tyre terrorising people called <laughs> Rubber. So like a low-budget juggernaut. Yes. Yeah. Invisible juggernaut. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm intrigued by the last one. Of course Rubber. you are. Who I wouldn't am. be? Who wouldn't be? I really want to go to the movies. Huh? I also want to watch the highest-grossing Japanese manga I'm Ever. none the wiser so far. Could be any of these three. What I want to say is that I'm torn. I'm, I'm not drawn and quartered. I'm drawn, quartered, and split between these three choices. So, oh, it's going to have to be... It's going to have to be the Wes Anderson. Oh, well, okay. Cinema time then, everybody. Get your popcorn out. And until the next time when we'll be reviewing Asteroid City... In episode 48. It's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from him. Goodbye. Ciao for now. See you on the next one. Bye. Thank you.